Hi there, and welcome to episode number five entitled Embracing Failure. My name is Roy Oki, and I'm the founder of Applied Life Strategies. I'm an advanced certified life coach, a certified cognitive behavior therapy practitioner, and a member of the Academy of Modern Applied Psychology. I have several years of counseling experience, both professionally and ecclesiastically. I've been married almost 38 years, and we have three sons, all grown and on their own, so I've had enough life experience to probably be able to relate to many of the challenges that you're currently facing. I chose the title of this episode, Embracing Failure, not just to get your attention, but because failure is so vitally important to success. Those who do not accept and embrace failure as the path to success will find life endlessly frustrating. Conversely, success without failure can be dangerous in itself. Steve Jobs was quoted as saying, The trouble with success is that it convinces smart people into believing they can do no wrong. There are basically two ways I can look at failure. I can take the view that failure is a reflection on me and my personal worth. It is something to be ashamed of and avoided at all cost. When we think this way, we avoid risk. The problem is that risk is the only path to improvement, so we flounder and end up disappointing ourselves. And sometimes we develop a victim mentality where we blame everyone and everything else for our problems and even resent those who achieve success in their lives. Either way, it's a very effective recipe for a miserable life. What I want to feel is that failure is an interesting and educational part of my road to success. Dr. Carol Dweck of Yale found in one of her studies with school children that successful students tend to respond to success and failure in the same way. Both outcomes are interesting. For example, what did I do to create this grade? How do I maintain or improve this result in the future? In order to explore both sides of this coin, there are two main topics that I want to address today. The first is learned helplessness, and the second is grit. Both of these conditions are learned, and both can be unlearned. So we need to be careful about our quality of thought. It also means that we can teach our children either one. So let's be careful what our children are learning from us. Since I'm the easiest person to pick on here, let me give you an example of learned helplessness in my life. When I was young, I had a wonderful picture of where I wanted to go and what kind of life I felt would make me the happiest. I used to dream about it as long, a lot as a kid and a teenager. The problem was that there were several well-meaning adults who told me over and over things like, that's not what you want, you can do more with your life than that, and so on. Now, my personality does not appreciate being pushed, and I was feeling pushed. Not so much into something, but away from a life that I had always dreamed of, which, in turn, I suppose left me feeling pushed into a life that was completely undefined and with no destination to move towards. It seemed like I was being pushed into a black hole, and I quickly developed anxiety and self-defeating behavior as a defense mechanism. I headed off to university after high school, and, well, I bombed. Badly. And for several years after, I went from one failure to another, mostly because I had no clue where I was going. This resulted in some very dark and difficult years for me, where I suffered from serious anxiety and depression. Finally, after hitting my rock bottom, I knew that things had to change. I just couldn't keep living like this and constantly disappointing those I loved the most. Well, let me tell you that years of failure is not an easy pit to climb out of. It took a lot of effort. It took help and support from others, and it took time. But I did it. 
one day and one small victory at a time. After flunking out of university twice, actually, I decided to try it again at the age of 40 and ended up graduating at the top of my class. What was the difference? Well, it's pretty simple. The difference was healthy thinking. Going back to school at 40 with a young family was probably the hardest thing I've ever done, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I had learned helplessness and I had unlearned it. So what exactly is learned helplessness? Learned helplessness occurs when hope disappears. To make matters worse, learned helplessness is typically accompanied by shame. And since children first learn the concept of shame at about the age of five, we have to be careful and aware of this very early in our child's life. Helplessness sends us back to the monkey brain and into a defensive mode. Do you remember those three modes we talked about before? The first, fight. An example of fight would be that a child becomes frustrated and lashes out at others in order to regain a feeling of control. Oftentimes, this is why young children bully. There's flight. The child may blame others and circumstances for their failures because accepting responsibility for it is just too painful. Remember, shaming a child is abuse, pure and simple. For me, my flight was self-destructive behavior because I didn't want to be pushed into that black hole, and it was my way of putting on the brakes. Then, of course, there's freeze, and this might be when a child's shame graduates from anxiety into depression. There are some neuroscientists today that suggest that we're all innately helpless and have to learn helpfulness. Personally, I feel this is the biggest load of horse manure I've ever heard. I believe that humans arrive on this planet wired with hope and optimism. We have to be taught to lose that hope and feeling of control. The problem is that it's kind of easy to do. One reason is that our brains are very economical by nature. It is our brain's tendency to choose the easy over the difficult. Our brain may want easy, but our spirit wants happy. And happy people do hard things. Living a happy, fulfilled life does involve tackling hard things, but it's worth every effort. My goal as a life coach is to show people the path to that happy, fulfilling life by teaching healthy thinking. That way, they can help teach their children the same skills. So let's look at this story again and try and figure out how these well-meaning adults in my life might have taken the same situation and put a more positive, effort-based spin on it. Hopefully one that wouldn't have presented such a daunting, unknown end goal. Let's start by saying that it's completely acceptable for children to have a naive outlook on life. They are children, and they are supposed to. My dream future was naive and not well thought out, but it was my dream, and that made it valuable. So rather than shooting it out of the sky, would there have been anything wrong with suggesting other careers or possibilities that I might have been good at and enjoyed just to get me thinking? Would there have been anything wrong with encouraging me to try something new before making a final decision so that I was making it from an informed position? Do you get where I'm going with this? Every great idea your child has, has merit. As adults, we never want to shoot them down. They can often use a little direction and even clarity, but wouldn't it be better if we allowed our children the opportunity to be wrong? Failure is nature's greatest teacher. So learn to be totally fine with allowing your child to fail. That is the perfect opportunity to teach that effort is the primary goal. And if we give our all for long enough, we will find happiness, even if it requires a detour or two along the way. 
It's also completely acceptable for children to change their minds about what they want several times throughout their life. That's not being indecisive. It's called being creative and thinking outside the box. Indecision occurs when a child is struggling between what they truly desire and what others expect of them. Now this, uh, (laughs) this is a tough one for most parents, so embrace yourself. No parent knows what will ultimately make their child happy in this life. And often neither does the child, but in the end, it must be the child that figures it out. And it really doesn't matter how long it takes, as long as the journey is rewarding and educational. The 16th century poet Cervantes knew what he was talking about when he told us, the road is always better than the inn. Life is a journey and not a destination. No one actually arrives in this life, and that's what makes it so magical. So when we're battling anxiety and depression, we're missing out on all the best parts. Speaking of anxiety, one of the greatest sources of anxiety in children today is too many choices. They have too many clothes, too many toys, too many gadgets, too many extracurricular activities, too many almost everything in our modern world. And for a young developing brain, it can be overwhelming. Most children can easily discern what they like and love and what they don't. We are the ones who tend to complicate it for them. Let's continue this discussion by switching to our other topic, which is grit. And we're going to introduce it with one of my famous why when I was a boy stories. Now, I have plenty of those, just ask any of my sons. Anyway, in this particular why when I was a boy story, uh, I was probably around 12 years old. Now, when I was young, I learned quickly that if I wanted to spend time with my dad, it meant going out and working with him. So I would follow him all around the ranch, get in his way, drive him crazy, and think I was helping. This meant that I also had an opportunity to learn a lot of new skills. One such skill was repairing and tightening wires on the barbed wire fences. And since there were several miles of fence to be maintained, fencing was an important skill to learn. Now, back in the Stone Age when I was young, we didn't have those fancy wire stretchers that ranchers use today. We had a trick using a claw hammer that worked great if you could figure out how to do it. I must have watched my dad do it a hundred times before he finally agreed to let me try. There was a broken wire on a fence close to the house that I volunteered to go repair. Dad agreed, so off I went with manly determination, confident that the many demonstrations I had observed would ensure my ultimate success. Well, let's just say it did not go particularly well. After several unsuccessful attempts, I ceded defeat and returned home to report my miserable failure. Dad asked what I felt had gone wrong, and we discussed the experience. He made a couple suggestions and promptly sent me right back out to keep trying. This time, I actually had some limited success. I was able to repair the wire to the extent that it might have contained, well, maybe an old, weak, sick cow, but it wasn't going to cut the mustard with our healthy herd. After inspecting my efforts, he encouraged me with the news that I actually was making progress, and a few more tries should give us the needed results. So off I went again to keep trying. After making enough progress, at least that I felt, I decided to call it a day and head back to the house. Now, when I returned home from school the next day, I fully expected to find that Dad had gone out and repaired the fence up to his standards. But to my surprise, he left it alone. Apparently, though it wasn't pretty, it was good enough. After that, Dad would send me out quite regularly to fix fence, and I slowly got better and better at it. There's nothing glamorous about repairing a fence, trust me. But interestingly, I learned to love the chore to the point that fence repair became something I gladly took on without being asked. 
So what is the moral of the story? It's quite simple, really. The effort must be more important than the result. My early results were certainly less than impressive, but they were accepted as long as my best effort was included. And my best efforts translated to better results as I gained experience. Did you know that grit is probably the best indicator of future success in a child's life? So what is grit, you ask? Well, it has a lot of meanings. Let me give you some of my favorites. Grit is being okay that you will never have the skills to master every task you attempt. No one is good at everything. Grit is being okay with being good enough, at least as far as it's going to go or needs to go. Grit doesn't mean that I stick with it until I excel at everything I try. Grit means that I get to choose what I excel at. Grit is being willing to do hard things that you don't like to do because there's purpose and value behind it. Grit means that we try, adjust, try, adjust, and keep doing that. We don't get upset over it. It's just a process we go through to get the result we're looking for. Grit is the perception of control. A person with grit takes responsibility for all things under her or his control and is not burdened by those things that are not. Things out of their control, for example, a physical disability, are simply a circumstance to be overcome or accepted and made the best of. Remember that a circumstance has no meaning except the meaning we choose to assign to it. Now, I want to throw in a sidebar here because on the internet there's been way too much said about the value of delayed gratification in children. Have you seen it? It's that marshmallow test, you know, the one where they take these five-year-olds and put a marshmallow in front of them, and then they tell them if they'll leave the marshmallow alone for five whole minutes, they'll get a whole bunch more marshmallows as a reward. This ridiculous experiment does little more than cause the average parent all kinds of stress because their child would probably fail the test every single time. What this experiment does not show is what kind of day the child is having. When was the last time they ate? How much sleep did he or she get last night? How much does the child even like marshmallows? And does the child understand the concept of time the way the PhD who's performing the experiment does? Because I guarantee you they don't. And so on and so on. And to make even worse, they present it as an indicator of future success. So, here is the reality to put all parents at ease. Delayed gratification, which is a vital part of grit, is a function of the frontal lobe part of the brain. That part of the brain is still dormant in a five-year-old. It doesn't even start to develop until about the age of nine and takes 15 years to fully mature. So be patient with your little one. When they choose immediate gratification over delayed, well, they're supposed to. They'll develop that skill as they mature. So wait to start teaching delayed gratification until at least nine years old. But remember, once your child is old enough, delayed gratification is an excellent way to teach grit. So, how do we teach it? Well, here's a few additional ideas. First, live it ourselves. Set and be the example to your child. Your example is the most powerful teaching tool you will ever have. So if you struggle with grit, work on it. Maybe even work on it with your child and get help if you need it. Two, Love the process and the effort more than the result. The problem with focusing on results is that we can never know until we can look back in hindsight if the result we were shooting for was the right one anyway. The best result is the one produced by our best effort. Three, expect a lot and then offer tons of support. 
but make sure that your demands are appropriate to your child's age and ability. Live and teach, try. Try, try again, try harder, try differently, try something creative, let's try together, and so on and so on. You get the idea, right? Okay, here's a fun one. Find an interest that your child loves and use their intrinsic motivation to teach grit. Or identify a new skill that your child would like to learn and use that to teach grit. Maybe even learn a new skill together. Now, let's see how we bring all this back to our topic of embracing failure. If you tend to associate the word failure with shame or guilt, then fine, go ahead and pick a different word and substitute it. Maybe call it embracing challenge or change or risk or hard work or whatever you like. It really doesn't matter, but pick a word and make it your goal. The value of failure is directly tied to your attitude toward it and the quality of your thoughts about it. If you struggle with this, get help. Failure will build you or crush you depending on your point of view. So be open to exploring different ways of thinking about failure if it's a problem to you. Finally, failure is not for wimps, but then neither is a happy, fulfilling life. So buck up, learn the skills you need so that both the ups and the downs can be the best part of your day. I do hope you found this podcast interesting and useful. Let me leave you with these, my favorite thoughts. Your child is not broken and neither are you. You're both doing the best you know how with the tools you have. It's okay not to be a perfect parent because there are none. It's okay if your child's imperfect because there are no perfect children. If you'd like more information about or help with your relationship with you and your child, you can contact me through my website at AppliedLifeStrategies.com. You can also listen to our other podcasts at the website as well. If you feel your family is in crisis, we have the expertise to help there as well. Again, the website is AppliedLifeStrategies.com. Have a wonderful day.